Good morning. I think this is on. Is it? Okay. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 7. And we're going to read the first 14 verses there. Judge not, that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, the plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite! First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under your feet and turn and tear you in pieces. Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks, Receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, you give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will you give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many are they that go there by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few that find it. I trust the Lord to add blessing to His Word here. This is a oft-quoted passage. It's probably the most misunderstood and misquoted verse in the Bible. Huh? Judge not, lest ye be judged. People like to use this quote to keep from being confronted with their sin. When actually the verse is written primarily to hypocrites and self-righteous people, not to the church. In fact, the Bible actually does call believers to judge, not in a hypocritical way. I've heard all my pastoral life, I've heard people say, well, even though people are sinning openly, we shouldn't judge them. And some even go so far as to not even like the word rebuke, but you have to understand that word's in the Bible about 350 times. Here's the wonderful thing that God has committed to His church. You, the church, have, thank you, dear, have been given the amazing responsibility to watch over your brothers and sisters. It is not only to the elders or the pastors, it is given to every single one of us. In fact, That's why he ordains elders 
That's why he appoints elders. To guide the church through a proper way of correcting people. In fact, if you think about the verse in 1 Timothy that says, All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for... What's the first word? Rebuke. Correction. Instructions in righteousness. That the man of God may be thoroughly equipped. Ignoring sin and even allowing a person who lives openly in sin is not the way to handle things. It has to be done properly. Approach to a, a brother who's openly sinning. And now when I'm talking about this, I'm not talking about following people around to make sure they don't say a bad word or, <laughs> or following people around to make sure they don't partake of some beverage that they shouldn't or following people around to make sure that they, they are not unloving. This is talking about somebody who's blatantly living in open sin. And unfortunately, in today's um, culture, it's usually a man and a woman living together who aren't married, coming to church and saying, accept me into your fellowship the way I am. And the Bible says not to do that. Or you already have somebody that's a member of your church doing that. The Bible tells us the proper, correct way to guide that person. You know what the point of it is? It's not love if you don't contact them. It's not love if you don't correct them. How many of you here have loved ones that you want to see saved? Or friends? Hold your hands up. You just made a judgment about those people. How do you know they're not saved? Unless you're making a judgment. Do you see how simple it is? Jesus tells us in Matthew 18, verses 12 through 20, and I want you all to turn there to see what he has to say. Because this isn't just one of the apostles, you know, getting down on the church somewhere. This is the Lord Jesus Christ giving the church, not just the elders, every individual in the church, his authority. To keep the church holy. Matthew 18, 12. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine and go to the mountains and seek the one astraying? And when he finds it, assuredly he says, I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than ninety-nine that did not go astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Moreover, if your brother sins. Now, it says in context, against you. Many of the manuscripts leave that completely out. But may I just say this? If a person's living in open sin, they're not only sinning against the Lord Jesus Christ, they're sinning against the church. Therefore, they're sinning against you. That's a hard, difficult thing to grasp. Moreover, if your brother sins, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. That's a thing to be rejoicing about. As difficult as it may have been for you to go to that person, 
And as humble as you need to be to do that, and make sure, as we'll talk about the speck and the log in a minute, that that's not you, when you gain your brother, it's a time of rejoicing. But then he says, but if he will not hear you, Take with you one or two more by the mouth of two or three witnesses. Every word may be established. You're not ganging up on him here. You might be the one that's wrong. Did you ever think about that? Maybe you're the one who's accusing somebody of something and you're wrong. So you take a couple of witnesses with you. Their job is not to stand over here on this side or on this side. Their job is to confirm the fact that what's going on is, in fact, true. Now, this is all supposed to be done way, 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 way before it ever gets to the elders. It's supposed to be done by you. If he refuses to hear them... No, verse 16. If he will not hear, take with you two or three more by the mouth of two or three witnesses... Every word is established. See, you're confirming facts. If he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be like a heathen or a tax collector to you. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Did you know that verse was in context of church discipline? This is not some crazy charismatic idea where you're going around and say, I bind the devil or I bind that sin in you and all that stuff. That's ridiculous. We all have responsibility to walk holy before the Lord. No, this is talking about binding up someone in a way that they're going to eventually repent. That's the whole purpose of it. Get them back. Get them back. Unfortunately, in today's culture, if somebody doesn't like the way the church says we must live, and then somebody walks up to them and says, brother or sister, that is not a biblical way to live your life. I'll just go to another church. And unfortunately, there's a lot of churches that will let them right in without even bothering to check if whether they belong there or not, or even if they're really saved. Then he says to this, Matthew 18:20, and again, another verse that is completely in context, but used out of context all the time. Where two or three are gathered my name, I am there in their midst. That is reference to church discipline. Now, the steps required are methodical and merciful, aren't they? We just saw one, two, three, four here. You say, how can it be merciful if you're judging someone? What's the issue? If you don't tell your brother to repent of open sin, you're ignoring God's command and you're allowing them to go out and come under God's judgment. Listen to the order of what he says here. If your brother sins. Like I said, we don't follow each other around and, you know, watch some sin of the flesh that's immediately confessed. And, oh, my goodness, how, how could you do such a thing? If you're like me, you're amazed at the evil of your heart. If you're not amazed at the evil of your heart, we need to talk. You haven't really understood repentance. This is referring to openly sinning against God and you 
the body and corrupting. And here's the thing. And this is what I hear from pastors and other people outside of churches who do not bother to take this seriously. That, that community that that church is located in assumes that I can go there, get Jesus, and keep my sin. Oh? Well, obviously you let that happen there. Do you see how destructive it is for a church not to teach holiness in a community? Nobody's going to be attracted to Jesus. I mean, there's enough people that hate him anyway that want to walk away from him because he's calling people to righteousness. But when the church says, eh, no problem. Now, it's not the same as you and me talking to each other and saying, we know we're sinners. We know we are. We know we're still sinners. And we love each other. And we love Jesus because He loved us so much that He gave His life for us. But the message to the unbeliever and the message to the the straying brother is come back to the cross and be cleansed. And there are just countless verses both in the Old and the New Testament. But this particular one, I love the way He he says it. If If your brother hears you, Meaning he responds in repentance. You have gained your brother. Hallelujah. But if he will not hear you, you take one or two witnesses to establish the word. Make sure these two, two or three witnesses are coming in as completely unbiased observers. Listening to the conversation between the person who's bringing the fault to the person and the person who's committing the faults. They're unbiased. But if he will not listen to them, then take it to the church. And this is where the confusion sits in. Oh, you're going to bring it to the church and put that person's name out in front of everybody. Yes. You know why? Not to put them out of the church. That's the last step. It's to get everybody in the church to collectively pick up the phone and say, brother, sister, or go and knock on the door and say, I have just heard that you are living in open sin. Please come back. Please repent. I beg you. Whole church does it. Let me tell you something. If you get the whole church contacting somebody, pretty soon they're going to start listening. Or they're going to brand you as a hypocrite. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about it. You get branded as everything else as a Christian anyway. Might as well get branded with that, right? It's an appeal of the church. And if he won't listen to the whole church, Jesus says there in Matthew 18, let him be like a heathen to you. If he insists on continuing in sin, the only person who really does that, according to 1 John, which we just got through studying in our home teams, the only person who does that is not, does not belong to God. So you'd start treating him as an unbeliever. Oh, does that mean we cast him out even further? No. It means now you start changing your approach from brother, come back and fellowship with us to brother, get saved, you're going to hell. Can't even call him brother. Do you see this process? 
And then he says, if you two or three of you agree on earth or wherever two or three of you gathered, I'm there. He's, Jesus is saying in context, I'm in your midst. I'm with you when you, when you perform church discipline. You know, in Matthew 28, we're quick to say in the Great Commission, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, and what? Make disciples. Okay, but let's get past that. We're, that's a wonderful call. But Jesus is saying here, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Discipline your church. Keep your church pure. None of us are pure in and of ourselves. But for us to tolerate open sin. And you know what? A lot of people always categorize this in the area of adultery or some sexual sin. You know something worse than that? Slander. Gossip. The word for gossip or slander in the Bible is diabolos. And the word for the devil in the Bible is diabolos. What does that mean? One who stands and accuses unjustly. Boy, when you, when you gossip, you know, so-and-so hurt me. I wanted to tell you how so-and-so over there hurt me. That's not the right person to go to. You go to that person and tell them they hurt you. They may not like hearing it, but you, that's the person that hurt you. This person over here is not part of the problem, nor are they part of the solution yet. Do you see how God works his unity in his church and everything? So let me just, he, 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 even Paul, in giving instructions to open immorality in the Corinthian church, said in 1 Corinthians 5, 4, and 5, In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, when you're gathered together along with my spirit and the power of our Lord Jesus, deliver that person to Satan, meaning put them out of the umbrella of the church for the destruction of their flesh, so that their spirit will be saved in the day of Jesus. What is he saying? If this is a really saved person, by taking action, you let Satan have Adam. What's he going to do? Come after their flesh. What are they going to do? If they got any sense, they'll repent and be healed. That's why James says, If any among you sick, let him call for the elders and pray for him. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven and he will be healed. Listen, do you not believe that God is as actively involved in his church today as he was in the first century? Do you not believe that he's just as real, just as big, just as powerful, and just as authoritative? Do you not believe that He's just as gentle, just as caring, just as loving as He was to the church in the first century? He's all of those things. But He's not just love. Love is not God. God is love. But love is not God. And sometimes we have a tendency to turn... With a bleeding heart for some person that's sinning, I had one person come up to me and say, "Well, I understand what you're going, what you're doing, and I don't approve of it, but I'd never, I'd never confront you with it." That's a ridiculous thing to say to somebody. You're just letting them go on in what they're doing. 
Now, it's possible to be too blunt. It's possible to be too harsh. It's possible to be maybe too direct. I've talked to this Becky about this. Says, Am I too blunt, too harsh, too direct? She goes, no, you're forthright. I said, thank you, dear. <laughs> I don't know if she's right or not. I pray every day about it. But here's the thing. Galatians 6, one. If a person is overtaken in a trespass, this is talking about a brother in Christ. You who are spiritual, restore that person in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself also. Lest you be tempted. So what's Jesus talking about in Matthew 7 then when he says judge not? Well, he's warning of the kind of judgment that's unfair, hypocritical, or overly critical. That's what he's talking about. He says the judgment you render you'll be held accountable for by the same God. Whatever you measure your judgments about will be brought back to you as well. We are quick to point out that a person isn't quite as pure as we are. Before I was ordained in the Baptist church, I was ordained in a Bible church. And this particular Bible church that I was a part of, which is one of the reasons I left them and planted a church in South St. Louis, they would look down their noses at Baptists. I'm sorry. I didn't. I, I, anybody that names the name of Christ is my brother or sister, and I want to fellowship with them. But I was talking to one of them one day, and they said, well, there's a few good brethren in the Baptist church. And I wanted to throw up because I know more than a few. I know hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of brothers in the Baptist church. And I don't and and what a pompous thing for that person to say to me. Oh, I still love him. And I was even working with him in camp, but but for him to say something like that struck a note about this section right here. Judge not lest you be judged. I don't believe the Lord is gonna have that man stand before him and say, You know, you did a good job ju- judging those Baptists. He's going to have to answer for his own faults. In fact, sometimes we judge people that we either think less pure than us. Well, I'm a Baptist, and I don't do those things. I, I was the uh, band when I came in early this morning. The band was playing, and was and, and actually uh, Jacob and uh, Jordan were were getting down on a, there was an interlude there and I started going like this and and Jacob said Baptists don't dance <laughs> you had to add that didn't you I said Christians dance maybe Baptists don't but every time I go to a wedding here and no offense Katie and Andrew but I went to your wedding and 
practically everybody in this church that came was dancing. That's a festive occasion. It doesn't matter. But here's the thing. Sometimes we look at people and say, he or she smokes. Are they really saved? He or she drinks a beer. Are they really saved? I don't do that. He or she, and if you hang around Pastor Dean Wallace very much, he or she tells close to off-color jokes. (laughs) I don't do that. Did you know that sometimes... We start judging people for stuff that is not unbiblical at all. We're judging them for non-biblical sins. And if it isn't in the Bible, it's not a sin. In fact, what you may have is a person who's so free in the Lord, that person can be all things to all people all the time and win a lot. Now, I'm not suggesting you go out and start partying. Okay, if you have a conviction, have it to yourself. If it is condemned by the Bible, you know darn well you're not supposed to do it. But if it isn't condemned by the Bible or you're just not sure, don't judge other people who are not convinced of the same thing as you are. That's what he's talking about here. He gives an illustration of what he's talking about with this speck and this log thing. Now, the very stark illustration that Jason gave us this morning with that two-by-four and that little speck <laughs> was a good, um, it was a good observation. It was a good object lesson. But I want to show you a different one. Jason, come up here. This is a toothpick. Yes, sir. Go sit down. Okay. <laughs> now hold that toothpick right up to your eye. And look at my toothpick. How does my toothpick look? Is it small? Pretty small. Pretty, well, I know. They're the same thing. You get it? This toothpick looks like a log in my eye, but I'm looking at his toothpick. And it looks little. And what Jesus is saying is what you're looking through is what you're judging. You're judging that person for the same thing that you have wrong. Get that log out of your eye. Interestingly enough, here's the problem. We have a log in our eye, and we see the speck in our brothers, and then he says, here's how you judge. First, remove the log from your own eye, and then you can justly judge clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Notice, he does tell us to remove the speck from our brother's eye after we do what? Remove the log out of ours. Did you know that there's a principle in Scripture that what you hate most in other people is really what you hate most in yourself? But you're so blind to yours, so it comes up and you start judging others for the same thing. And this is what Jesus is talking about, about judging others. There's more internal judgment done in the church toward one another and especially toward the leadership that is justified at all. It's not justified. You really, We really need to check ourselves 
before we start trying to figure out how to solve somebody else's problem. I have people come to me sometimes and say, Brother John, I'm really struggling with such and such. What should I do? I can't tell you what to do. Now, if it's in the Scripture, I can tell you what Scripture says. But sometimes people expect me to tell them what to do with their lives. I can't do that. You've got to follow the Lord, get, to, get the will of God from Him for you, not me. I can tell you what the will of God for His church is. I can tell you what the will of God for individual believers. I can tell you what God's purpose is in salvation. And I can tell you that if you stay in the Word, you will eventually get an answer from whatever it is you're asking for. But I can't tell you what you should do. I can tell you what you shouldn't do. <laughs> but I can't tell you what you should do. Particularly if you're looking for wisdom or guidance in your life for what career to have or what person to marry or so forth. I can't make that decision for you. I can't help you with that. I can give you principles of God's Word of how to find a godly wife or how to find a godly husband and so forth and so on. But I can't tell you who to choose. That's you and God. In fact, Jesus summarized it this way in John chapter 7, verse 24. Listen to what he says. Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. He didn't say not to judge. He said use righteous judgment. Use a fair standard when you're judging. Now, I'm not giving you permission to go around to each other and start rebuking each other. <laughs> okay, please don't, don't get that out of this. That's not what this is about. We come here to fellowship and admit. When we take the Lord's Supper and we take that bread and drink that cup, we're saying, I'm a sinner. I'm a bad sinner. I'm so bad somebody had to die for me. But hallelujah, he did. Amen? Okay, then he's got this verse in the middle of this whole thing about giving holy things to dogs and pearls to swine. It's like, what in the world is that doing in the middle of this passage here? Well, I'll tell you. First, the Greek word for dog and swine here are just simply the words for dog and swine. <laughs> They're not, there's not any special deep meaning about them. But it does have a deeper meaning when you study all of Scripture, and believe it or not, it even goes along with judging. The Bible often refers to certain types of sinners as dogs. Listen to what he says in the book of Revelation, chapter 22:15, talking about the holy city. Outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral, murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. The word dog here is often referred to as a perverse sexual sin or in some cases the sin of homosexuality. Or prostitution. And notice that it falls into a category of sins are considered an abomination to God and will not enter the holy city. What about the swine? Well, both the dog and the swine are mentioned by Peter in 2 Peter 2. In each of these cases, in this case, he's talking about false teachers. Listen to what he says in 2 Peter 2, 20 through 22. If after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse than them for them in the beginning. For it would be better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them, which is believe in Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. But it has happened to them, according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit 
and a sow having been washed to wallowing in the mire. Hmm. He says these people will turn and trample you. They'll trample the truth you teach and they'll tear your faith to pieces if they can. Okay, next section. Asking, seeking, and knocking. Again, off-quoted verses, but let's see what they really mean. Actually, the Greek words for ask, seek, and knock here are keep asking, keep seeking, and keep knocking. It's just a continuous thing. Don't just do it once and forget it. In other words, do these things until you get an answer, right? The promise from God is he who keeps asking receives, he who keeps seeking finds, and he who keeps knocking has the door open to them. Now, the real issue in this whole thing, I hear people say, I believe in the power of prayer. I don't. I believe in the power of God. Prayer puts me in touch with Him. We always like to, to, to make little statements, you know. Uh, my prayer life isn't very good right now. I need to in, increase my prayer life. May I just suggest to you that if you have Jesus' life, you're going to pray. You're going to witness. You don't have a prayer life. You have Jesus. And if you yield to Him, you're going to pray. You don't have to worry about your prayer life. Your prayer life will take care of itself. If you follow Jesus, you have life from Jesus. And that life permeates into just everything in the world. But we like to segregate my prayer life, you know, the power of prayer. Oh, the power of witnessing. None of that is true. It's the power of God. Paul said to the Corinthians, I didn't come to you with fancy words of wise men because I didn't want you to take your stand, your faith and stand on the wisdom of men, I came to you to say this. The preaching of the cross is the power of God. The cross of Christ is the power of God. So think about what's really going on here. It isn't that you're praying, that you're asking, seeking. It's to whom are you praying? To whom are you asking? To whom are you seeking? To whom are you knocking? Whose door? Get it? Think about your own family. If your son or daughter asks for bread, he says, you won't give them a stone, will you? Or if they ask for a fish, are you going to give them a snake? Well, that would be heartless. What's the issue here? It is the who you are asking that matters. And he makes this comparison. If you are evil by nature, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, and we do, especially at Christmas, how much more will your Heavenly Father give to them who ask? Good things. (laughs) We forget that, don't we? We'll freely give our kids just about anything and then go in God's back door and beg Him for something that He already told us we have. All the promises of God are what? Yes, in Christ. And he kind of sums us up here saying, so whatever you want men to do to you, you do also to them. 
the golden rule. Have you ever talked to somebody about the Lord and they say, well, I keep the golden rule. Watch them when they get in their car. (laughs) See if they really keep the golden rule. It's just a simple way of how to treat others after you become a Christian. Finally, and we're going to close with this, Jesus talks about a narrow gate and a broad gate. A narrow way and a broad way. Many take their broad gate, their way to destruction. You know, this gate is one of those things that looks right to men, but the end thereof is death, it says in Scripture. There is a way that looks right to men, but in the end of of it there is death. Religion. Religion looks good, feels good. Go home, pat yourself on the back. I went to church today. Thank you, God. It doesn't lead to anything. It's not the narrow gate. It's a wide, broad gate. But very few, he says, in the people in the world take the narrow gate. Now, this narrow gate is not legalism. I don't smoke and I don't chew and I don't run with them that do. I ain't got no friends. That's not what it's talking about. Neither is it completely self-righteousness. It's not that. You know why it's narrow? It's a person. It's a person. The gate is narrow because it's a person. It's Jesus. He's the gate. It is a gate where you enter, you must come to the realization that you don't deserve to even go through that gate. It's a gate that where unrepentant sinners will not and cannot enter. It's a gate where you willingly come to the place of seeing your wretched condition before God and admit it first to yourself and to God at the same time. It is a gate that has a cross above it where the Son of God lovingly and willingly gave His life in the place of yours. So sinners can flee there for forgiveness and salvation. And be reborn into a new life that will never, ever end. It is a gate where the Lord Jesus stands with His arms like this, open wide. To welcome you in. Because He bore the sin that you could be judged for completely. You were treated as if you were as righteous as He is. Wow. Both gates are eternal, by the way. The broad gate leads to eternal punishment in the lake of fire. The narrow gate leads to life and happiness with Christ in heaven. The narrow, it is narrow, like I said, because it's Christ himself. And men find it offensive. They don't like having to come to someone to make them realize they're so bad they need somebody to die for them. I don't know your heart today. Which gate will you choose? I'd be happy to show you from Scripture the gate that leads to eternal life and invite you to go through the gate with me. (laughs) But I have a question for all of us in here that are believers.
will you take this message of the gate that's narrow to that world out there? That is not my job alone. It is yours. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Lord, it is so convicting. It is so informative. And it's it's brings us right into your presence so that we have little little else to do except just be devoted to Jesus. That's about all we can do. We don't have enough in ourselves to to really give you anything. Everything we have we got from you. In fact you're all we need, Lord Jesus. But help us to think about the things that were shared today and not be hypocritical judges. Not to go around looking down our noses at others. Really being careful about what we say about one another or to one another unless we for sure know that we ourselves are clean before you. Keep us, Lord, in this constant relationship with you that where we always look to you before we even open our mouths. In Jesus' name, amen.